Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open up to Luke chapter 14. We are halfway through the book of Luke, and uh, man, what a, what a book it's been. If chapters 9 through chapter 18 deal with the last six months of Jesus' life. He's making his way towards Jerusalem. Of course, we all know what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. Uh, he's going to give his life up for the world. Uh, in the last few chapters of, of the book of Luke, I'll deal with the last eight days that Jesus was on this earth. Uh, one interesting fact that you're going to see in this passage today, it is the last time in Luke that we're going to see Jesus in a Sabbath setting. Uh, we've seen him in the synagogue on a Sabbath. Uh, now he's, being, he's going to be, uh, try to be trapped and tricked. Uh, Jesus has been threatened. He's been hated. Uh, they said, hey, Herod's going to kill you. He's been despised. He's been rejected. All by those who claim to be religious. They've had enough. And now they're looking for ways to kill Jesus and to trap him and to somehow get him in front of people where they can uh, cry crucify uh, to them. So they figure the best place to trap someone is to invite him over for dinner. You ever been invited over to a dinner and say, man, something's not right about this dinner. Anybody ever been uh, invited to, a, uh, maybe they're trying to get some information from you or do something to you? Well, Jesus is in this situation. Somebody invites him to dinner, and Jesus knows, wait a minute, something's not right with this situation. Now, in this dinner theme, and this Pharisee's going to invite him, I want you to picture three tables. At each table, there's three places to recline at. Now, if you recall, they didn't have seats like you and I would sit. To invite somebody over to your house would to say, recline at the table, and not like your lazy boy recline, but you would be face first toward the table. You would be sitting there, and everybody else would be around you, so you got one table on this side, one table on this side, and you got a table in the middle, all right? Everybody picturing this almost a square, all right? We got a square, and then there's three seats at each one. And so they would come in, and they would recline. Their face would be close to the food. They could be able to sit there and eat. Uh, I wouldn't like eating that way because I think my arm would fall asleep, and uh, it would just be uncomfortable for me, but that's how they did it today. So Jesus is invited to this dinner and they're going to watch Jesus closely. And I believe if, if someone were to watch our life as closely as Jesus' life was watched, they're going to find something they don't like, right? Just We're all human beings, and we all do things sometimes that just aren't right. And so if people watch closely enough, there's something that could be found. This was not the case with Jesus. He's, he's spotless. He's blameless. He's without sin. And you're going to see a man also invited to this meal that was very, uh, it wasn't like the Pharisees to do this. It was, it was, it was uh, off their radar. They invited a man with a disease to come to this dinner. Now, why do you think they're going to invite a man with a disease when Jesus was there on the Sabbath? What do you think they're trying to do? Oh, they're trying to trap him. You know what they're wanting him to do? They know Jesus loves people more than anything. And if they see this, if Jesus sees this man walks in, and Jesus is going to have compassion on him. And more than likely, Jesus is going to heal this man on what day? The Sabbath, and this is their opportunity. Yes, we are going to get him, right? This is their mindset. So I want you to know the mindset going on uh, in chapter 14. Notice with me in verse 1. We're just going to make it down to verse number 11. And I've entitled this message this morning, and we're going to look at the next one uh, next week. Lessons from the table, nothing to do with food. 
I know, right? Lessons from the table, but nothing to do with food. Chapter 14, verse 1. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. They had their eyes on him. They were like, all right, buddy, do something so we can trap you, right? Say something so we can get you. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. I'll tell you what that is in just a little bit. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? They, Jesus knows what they're trying to do and how he's, they're trying to trap him. And so he says, uh, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? They held their peace. This is interesting that they do this. And he took him and he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall leave an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And what did they do again? They could not answer him again to these things. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to learn these lessons that you taught around the Sabbath dinner table. Lord, help us to apply them to our life and to be more like you when it's all said and done. In your name we pray, amen and amen. So as I said, you have uh, uh, three seats. This would be, the technical term for the three seats in the house would be a triclinium, all right? You'd have a triclinium. And if you can picture around these tables, you've got, like I said, you've got a, a seat for three or a place to recline for three here, three here, and three right here. Now, this table right here was the important table, all right? This is where uh, you would want to sit, especially in the middle. Now, the middle seats on both sides, they were for special guests, okay? So the seats in the middle would be reserved for the special guests. And uh, if the host said you're a special guest, then you're a special guest. And they would be, they would be numbered probably like one over here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, they wouldn't have numbers on them, but you would know the numbers. And the host would usually take seat number nine, which would be the lowest seat that you could take at the dinner table. It's over here. It's off to the edge. It's not in the middle of everybody. Now, at this table right here in front, we have a, table, a, a seat right here in the middle. And this seat right here in the middle, it's just for, man, it's for the honored guests. So we have the special guest right here, and, man, we have an honored guest right here. And he is sitting in this place, and that's going to be important to, to understand as we get through this passage of Scripture, you'll be able to understand what Jesus is saying. So as this story unfolds, you get the impression that other people came in and they decided, I want to be the special guest of honor, or I want to be right there in the middle. I mean, put me in the middle, I, I should be the honored guest today. You're going to get that impression. So the first lesson we're going to learn today that Jesus teaches them that has nothing to do with food is a lesson in hypocrisy. A lesson in hypocrisy. You see that they were uh, watching him. They brought this man in who had the disease. They knew Jesus was going to heal him. And Jesus answers them, which is very interesting. You can highlight that in your passage. Uh, but before this lesson begins, we see that these men watch Jesus. Now this word, one commentator said it's like this. It's, it would be compared to like a dog watching 
a bone. Anybody ever seen a dog watch for a bone? And they're all like, yeah, I'm going. I'm getting that bone, right? I'm excited about that bone. And, man, they got one thing on their mind, that bone. They got that bone. Like when my son's out spraying uh, the cars with water at the house, I've got a German shepherd who just thinks it's her duty to sit and wait for somebody to spray water at her. I, I've never seen anything like it before in my life, but she barks just to get Brian to spray the water. And she sits there and looks at it, not like a bone, but we're talking water being sprayed at this dog. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't want that to happen in my life, and I'm not going to bark for it to happen. But this dog, she does. She gets excited about that water. Man, she wants somebody to spray water at her. She's watching for Brian to turn around and do this number right here, and she just tries to eat all the water she can, drink all the water she can. I don't know what she's doing. And so these Pharisees, they bring Jesus in, and you have you ever walked into a room and, and said this to yourself, I feel like somebody's watching me. Anybody ever got that impression? And then, and then you look over here, maybe you look to your right or you look to your left, and somebody is staring at you. You ever just had anybody stare at you for no reason at all? And you want to just turn to them and stare back. How many have ever wanted to do that? What are you? Or you use the phrase, take a picture. Oh, you've all done it. Yes, take a picture. It will last longer, right? We've all been guilty of that. You've all been somewhere where somebody has stared at you. I get funny looks all the time. I had one person come to me when me and my wife were at, uh, out at uh, lunch years and years ago. Uh, we were in, in Pigeon Forge doing something. I don't remember what we're doing. But I, was, I know we were eating, and somebody's just staring at me. They're just staring and staring. I said, what, do, I know, do I have something on my face? What, what are these people? I'm about to get upset. I'm about to get mad. Then they get enough nerve to come to my table. I'm like, what are they doing? Do I, do I know this person? And they said, excuse me, may I have your autograph? I'm like, who are you? They're like, well, aren't you John Gruden? I said, no, I'm not John Gruden, but I, I, sometimes I wish I had his money. You know, I could have signed it that day and said, and then done with it. But they were just staring at me, watching me, because they felt like, that's John Gruden in Pigeon Forge. That's him, and I'm going to get his autograph. Man, that was just awkward. And here Jesus walks in, and all the eyes of the Pharisees are on this guy, right? They're looking at him. It's in the present tense, meaning that they're watching every move he makes. How many of you would be uncomfortable right now? Nobody wants to just be stared at. I mean, every time Jesus goes to reach for a piece of food, they're watching him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really want people watching me to eat, right? Because then, then I, get all, I get all nervous, and then I spill stuff on my face, and then it's just an embarrassment. And they're watching everything that, that Jesus is doing. This is an uncomfortable dinner. Why are they watching him? Because it says they, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. This is not an accident. This is weird, but this is not an accident. The, fair, the, the fact that the Pharisees invited this man with the disease to come into this place is odd because they viewed them as someone who has sinned and they are not good to be around. And so they would not associate with this kind of crowd. But here they are. They brought him into the house and Jesus saying, wait a minute, something's not right. You just brought a man with disease in here. The disease is dropsy. Dropsy also could be called edema, and it's where you get fluid buildup in your skin and in, in, in your body, and your skin begins to 
certain parts of your body begin to, to swell. And so this man, he's walking in. I don't know how severe it is. I don't know how long he's had it. But he walks in. He was a plant. Because they knew when Jesus saw him, he was going to heal them. And so he had dropsy. He had swelling uh, of, the, of the skin there. Jesus saws this man, sees this man, uh, but he, and he does something amazing. What does he do? Look, look at verse 3. Now, anywhere between verse 2 and 3, does anyone see a question that was asked? Is there any question asked? Do y'all see it? Did I miss it? Did the Pharisees ever ask a question? They didn't. Now, I don't know about you, but this would kind of like weird me out. So he says, Behold, there was a certain man, verse 2, which but before him, which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Right? You know what they were doing? They were questioning in their minds, Will Jesus heal on the Sabbath? And so Jesus just blows their mind. Hey, guys, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Right? How in this world, how, how does this guy know what we're fixing to ask and what we're asking in our mind? He asks this question, or he asks them a question. And so uh, he, he's saying, is it lawful to heal on this particular day? Now, the fact that Jesus was being watched should tell us a lot about our life. You know, Paul says, you, you ever heard the phrase, you may be the only Bible somebody ever reads? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Where do we get that phrase from? Well, if you, if you have your Bible, you want to go over there, 2 Corinthians uh, 3, verse 1 through 3. You can make a note of it if you want to. Go back and look at it later. But here's what Paul said about the church of Corinth and how what their lives are representative of. And so it's a representation of our life. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some other epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. He's saying, I don't need anything in writing from you or about you. I don't need you to put anything on pen and paper about your lives. He goes on to say, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you manifestly declare to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Paul says this, Church of Corinth, people are watching you. Can I tell you this? Temple Baptist Church, people are watching you. And they're, they're looking how you respond to various things, and maybe there's traps being set. Maybe someone's trying to get you to say something that you shouldn't be saying. The traps have been laid, and people are watching you. And some of those people are lost, and you and I may be the only Bible they will ever read. What message are we sending them? That we have the love of Jesus Christ? That, 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 that we're living for Him? Listen, we're the only Bible some people will read. Jesus knows this, that he is being watched right now. They wanted to see if Jesus would heal, and Jesus didn't disappoint. He healed this man. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Ask the question, no evidence, or answer the question with no evidence of a question being asked. They were asking in their hearts, will he heal this man? And he says, is it lawful? What did they say in return? 
They, they didn't say anything, right? Because they, they themselves now, the tables have been turned on them. Now, Jesus is teaching a lesson about hypocrisy, right? You quit, quit being hypocrites. Quit, quit saying that you are religious and you are a follower of God and you love the laws of God and you're not even interested in people around you. He is saying, listen, don't be concerned with your traditions and, and, and laws that you have made. We need to be concerned about people. When Jesus asked what their convictions were about the Sabbath day, he used on them the weapon that they had forged for him. This is what Wearsby saying. To begin with, they couldn't even heal anybody on any day. And so Jesus is asking them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? They can't heal anybody anyway. Warren Wiersbe goes on to say, but even more, if the Pharisees said that nobody should be healed on the Sabbath day, the people would consider them heartless. So if they were to answer this question that Jesus just asked, they would fall into a trap. You know what the people around them would think? These guys have no heart. But if they answered, no, it's not lawful to, to heal on the Sabbath day, they would look heartless. And if they said, well, Jesus... It is okay to, to do this. They would have looked lawless in, in front of their friends, in front of their peers. So they couldn't say anything. You know why? Because they were trying to walk that fine line of being on both sides. So they, they didn't want to offend the people and think that they were heart, heartless. They didn't want their own religious people to think that they were lawless. So what did they say? Nothing. Verse 4, they held their peace. And he took him and healed them and let him go. And you think this would be the it, right? But Jesus wants to make a point here. And the point is this. Many, he's pointing at these Pharisees. Many of you think it's okay to do this uh, or have compassion or mercy or help an animal who is in distress on the Sabbath day. It doesn't matter what day it is. You would help that animal in distress because it's your animal. And Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You don't care about people. You care more about your laws, but you would break those laws on certain occasions. Listen, these men were silent. They didn't grumble anything. They did not anticipate on receiving a lesson from Jesus Christ. They anticipated on trapping him. And he asked them if they would not show compassion on the animals who fell into a pit. Verse 5. Which of you shall have an ass or an ox, a donkey or a cow into a pit, fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? This is a rhetorical question. Because you know what the answer is? Yes. We, if, if our animals fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, we would straightway immediately pull that animal out for its safety. And Jesus is saying, you care more about that animal than this person about to whom I'm going to die for. And he's saying, you, you, you care more for uh, your traditions. Now, Barclay says this about open wells. And it, were, it was, uh, man, it was frequently the cause of accidents in Bible times. He, he kind of references ex, Exodus 21:33. If a man opens a pit or digs a pit, does not cover it over, or an ox or donkey falls into it and dies. You know, it's, it's perfectly allowable for these people to rescue an animal who has fallen into a pit. And so Jesus, with searing contempt, 
demands how if it's right to help an animal on the Sabbath, how can it be wrong to help a human being? Would you all agree with that? It's not wrong to help an animal on the Sabbath day. And it's not wrong to help a human on the Sabbath day as well. That's what Jesus was saying. Here's what Stephen Cole said about hypocrites. Listen to this. And I want you to, as I, as I go through these, I want you to ask, are these evident in my life? Because if so, you're, you're trying to live both lives, and we, that just doesn't work. Here's what hypocrites do. Hypocrites study the word for ammunition against others, but they do not apply it to themselves. Oh, we'll sit in a service, and we'll listen to Scripture read, read, and we'll listen to what's being said, and we're gathering ammunition for somebody else that we want to go against instead of applying it to our own lives. Can I tell you something that the, the whole church as a whole would be just better off doing? Taking the Word of God and applying it to your life and worrying about you and you alone. Amen? If, if every single person in every church around the world would just take the word that's being preached, apply it to their lives where it needs to be applied, worry about themselves and not worry about everything else and anything else, the church would be a whole lot better off. It'd be a whole lot better off. Hypocrites use the word or study the word for ammunition against others but do not apply it to themselves. They target and try to bring down anyone who confronts their sin with the word. All right, so you go to somebody who is sinning, and you confront them with the Word, and what do they try to do? They try to bring you down. They try to make you look bad. They care more about their man-made rules than about people being right before God in their hearts. You, you and I have a mission. We have a goal. We have a, we have a job to do. You know what that job is? Go tell the world about Him. That's all our job is. Tell him that, hey, I, man, he, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back again one day. Are you ready? Let's not care so much about our man-made rules that we forget about the people of, of which Jesus Christ died for. Jesus Christ died for not a church building, not church rules. Jesus died for those people, for you and I, people who are in sin, and that would describe all of us. He goes on to say about hypocrites, they bend the rules for their own purposes, but apply them rigidly to others. Oh, we'll, oh we're going to, you better walk the line with me, buddy. Right? You better, you better do it right. But when it comes to their own life, oh, well, let's bend the rules here. Let's, let's, let's turn the rules here. It's a hypocrite. They ignore overwhelmingly evidence in order to persist their sin. They, they ignore everything that the Bible has to say just to continue living in sin. Jesus is giving a lesson to the Pharisees, but it's a good lesson for us. Quit pretending. All right? Here's the choice you have to make. Either live for Christ or live for the world. You can't have it both ways. And if you try to do it both ways, all you're doing is being a hypocrite. Because you come to church, you sing the praises of God, and we go out into the world and we live like the devil. We do things that we shouldn't be doing. We offend a holy God when we sin. We've got to be careful that we're just living for Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That is our mission. Live for Jesus Christ. I hope that you're not living a life of hypocrisy. I hope that you're not saying one thing to some people and another thing to other people. I pray that you are living the Word of God out in your life on a day-by-day -day basis. 
Just live Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about it. Jesus gives them a lesson in hypocrisy. In verse 7 through 11, another lesson. Since they're going to stay silent on the matter, Jesus says, well, this is a good opportunity to teach you another lesson, right? If you're not going to say anything, I'll just continue teaching, right? He goes on to say in verse 7, and put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them. Now, Jesus is watching. Remember I told you about the seats, right? We have a middle seat here, a middle seat here, and a middle seat right here. These are for who? The middle seat right here. Special guests. This is for the honored guests. So here's what they're doing. They're coming in. Maybe they got there 30 minutes early. And what do they do? They go, man, that, that first person that gets there, he goes right to the honored seat. And Jesus is watching this. He goes right there. And maybe Jesus is watching them, and they're now they're arguing about what seat to sit in. That's my seat. You've taken my seat. Get out of my seat. That's the place I'm supposed to recline. I'm a special guest. No, I'm an honored guest. And they begin jostling over seat positions, right? So what does Jesus say to them? As he's watching this unfold, he says, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit, down, sit not down uh, in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee, and him that come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. When thou art bidden, go and sit in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, and thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and him he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know what Jesus is teaching them? It's not all about you. You know what Jesus is teaching us? It's not all about us. We're to have a life of humility. They're speechless. Jesus gives them a lesson. They're guilty of taking the best seats. They chose out the best seats, the chief rooms. They chose all these things out. They were jostling for position. They claimed to keep God's Sabbath laws when in reality they were denying God by the way they abused people and accused the Savior. These men were guilty of seeking honor from men and not from God. Can, can I tell I told you this before, but we shouldn't be trying to get each other's recognition. My job, your job, is to please a holy God in heaven. At the end of the day, None of you will be standing with me when I stand before Jesus Christ. I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of how I pastored a church, how I led my family, how I did all these things in life. I will give an account for what I did. And I will stand before Him and I will, I will have to, I cannot be with you or be with anybody else. And so my job here is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in the best way I know how. The job you and I have is to make sure we're living in such a manner where we're honoring Jesus Christ. One commentator gives us an example of what managers are looking for. Experts in management tell us that most people wear an invisible sign, and y'all tell me if this ain't true or not, because I know it's even true about my life, we read an invisible sign that reads, please make me 
feel important. All of our lives, it's consumed about us, right? It's consumed about what we can get or what we cannot get. If we heed that sign, you know what we can do? We can succeed in human relations. We will go far in, in human relations. We will, we will be successful, as, as humanly speaking, if we think it's all about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus Christ. I, the, John says this, I must decrease. He must what? Increase. If he's going to increase, i got to become less of me. i, I got to think less of me. You've got to think less of you. Jesus begins to tell them uh, to come to the place if they come to this place and they were invited not to take the, the highest seats, not to take the cheapest seats, the center seats right here, don't take these seats because you know what's going to happen? The guy who invited you is going to come back and say, hey, that seat's not for you. How embarrassing would that be? You chose the chief seats. You sat in the honored position. And the, the one who asked you to come says, uh, excuse me, can you get up and move because this seat is not for you? How many of you would be embarrassed? I'd be embarrassed, right? I'd be embarrassed. And then he says, you go sit down there. You thought you were something. We thought, man, I, I'm, man, I am God's gift to this world. <laughs> Nobody's that way, right? We, we think of ourselves often as higher than we, what we should you know, God tells us this. Paul tells us this. Don't think of, of yourself higher than you, than you should. Sometimes in, in society, people have the mindset that they are better than everyone else because of a job they have or because of a house they have or the title that they have or the car they drive, so on and so on. It's a lesson on humility. It's a lesson we need today. We need to be humble. It is so easy it is so easy, and I hope you all agree with me, to get our heads puffed up, right? How many has ever had a puffed up head, right? I think we all have. You know why? Because we're selfish. In this life, we want it to be all about us, and we get mad when it's not because that's our flesh. That's what we battle against. Our ego can be puffed up pretty quickly if we allow it to. Humility is the positive principle for promotion. When businesses are looking for people to place in management, you know what they're looking for? Looking for somebody who will just come and do their job, not complain, not gripe, not murmur about everything going on, but they come here, they clock in on time, they take the breaks when they need to take the breaks, they don't make a scene at the, uh, the workplace, they're just there doing their job. Someone's going to notice you and say, he has a humble or she has a humble spirit, they would be good for management because they, it's not all about them. It's not, it's not man, I, I, I'm the person who thinks, man, they're the greatest worker that's ever worked at the place of business you have. I, I know where you've worked or where you are working currently, there is probably somebody who thinks they're God's gift to that organization, Right? Y'all probably know what I'm talking about. Or you've worked with somebody like that. They think they know it all. They're not teachable. Right? And, man, if you, if you do something that's not according to the, the guidelines or the manuals, man, they're on it. Hey, hey, you're not doing right. And they think they know everything. Them guys are annoying, aren't they? They think they just, man, they think they can do a better job than you can. 
They think the job you're doing is terrible, and we, want to, we just want to just give them what's coming to them. And, and Jesus is saying, stay humble. Stay humble. That old saying, cream rises to the top, is true. Just keep living for Jesus. Keep, keep doing the right things. And eventually, because you chose to stay humble, the Bible says, Jesus says that you will be exalted. You will be raised. But when we try to raise ourselves and say, look at me, everybody. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. We're quickly brought down. That's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. Spurgeon said this, Our Savior was not just then talking to His disciples, or else He would have given more spiritual reasons for His advice. He was speaking to the people who were gathered as guests at the Pharisees' house. He appealed to them with the argument suitable to themselves. We may, however, extract the marrow from the bone. Let us not covet the highest place. Let us not desire honor among men. In the church, the way upward is downward. He that will do the lowest work shall have the highest honor. Listen, it doesn't matter if we get recognized or not. It really doesn't. If you pick up a piece of trash around the church premises and nobody else knows about it, you didn't tell a single soul about it. You know, you know what Christ is doing? He's making notes. Because Christ taught us what it meant to be a servant. What did He do? He knelt down and He washed the disciples' feet. You can't get any more humble than that. He said, I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve. I have come to serve you. Man, He washed the, the disciples' feet. And listen, he that does the lowest work shall have the highest honor. It's, it's all about not the recognition I can get here on earth. I, w- I honestly want to hear when I get to heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I honestly want to hear that. I'm not just making that up. And man, I, I want God to be honored in my life. Verse 11 says, Whosoever exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The way upward is downward. It's to be a servant. Young person, when the time comes and you're trying to find a job, be the one who works hard. Go into work at the time of your schedule. Work as hard as you can. Be willing to learn new things, realizing you don't know it all. Even if you just got out of college, you don't know it all. Learn those principles. When somebody teaches you something, don't get angry and upset. Say, well, I know everything I need to know. Take the lesson. Humility is not an attitude. It's it's not an attitude that allows people just to tread upon you. It's not saying just let people walk over you. It's saying, listen, humility is is a state of total dependence upon God. God, I'm going to do this job for you and you alone. I don't care what so-and-so does at my job or what they do not do at my job. I'm coming in, and I'm working the best I can, the hardest I can, because I know you are watching me. It doesn't matter if your masters, your bosses are watching you, if they've taken off. We do the best because God is watching us, and we will give an account for what we do. I found this test this week called the PQ test. You know what the PQ test is? 
It's the pride quotient test. The pride quotient test. In your brains, I want you to answer yes or no to these questions. Just in your brains. Please don't answer them out loud. I enjoy being the center of attention. I think we all have to say probably yes to that one at some point. Maybe you, some of you, you you're fine just being, being back there and nobody even knows who you are. But we can, we can make an answer yes or no to that. Number two, I think I deserve the best. Yes or no? Much of my conversation is filled with I. Much of my conversation is filled with I. Number four, I find it difficult to admit that I'm wrong. I'm a guy, right? And guys, we struggle with this one sometimes. The, the hardest words to say to your wife was, I was wrong. That's hard to say because I want to be right, right? I'm a guy. I want to be right. But you're human. We want to be right. I seldom pass a mirror without looking at myself. <laughs> I mean, we, I know we all have to look at the mirror, but the point is this. You don't have to keep constantly looking at the mirror. I'm stubborn. I don't like to be corrected or challenged. Yes or no? My feelings are easily hurt. Yes or no? Right? I'm impatient with other people's mistakes. Yes or no? You know, you know what I was just saying? That we've got a problem with us. And I think at some point we'd probably answer yes to all these questions. Because we are selfish people. Number nine, I don't get enough appreciation for all I do. Number ten, I'm offended if I render a service and don't receive a thank you. Right? I mean, that one we could probably put in a church on that one. Number eleven, I seldom ask for help because I can do the job better myself. Right? Because you don't want to be frustrated with having to teach somebody how to do a job, and then they don't do the job the way you want them to do the job. And so you get frustrated that they're not doing what you're doing, but they're a different person. They're not going to do the same things you're doing. They may have a different system. So I don't know how you answer those questions, but I know this. No matter how you answer those questions, we all deal with pride. It is the root thing that causes us to sin. It's all about us. So today we saw a lesson on in hypocrisy. Do you expect more from others who claim to be a child of God than you do for yourself? Do you expect the church leaders of this church uh, to be more spiritual than you are? Do you, do you expect them to live a certain way, do a certain thing, and you not do the same thing? That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an easy trap to fall in if we're not careful. And let me just tell you this, there's hypocrites everywhere. It's not just in the church. It's life in general. They're all over the place. Today, measure your life up with the Word of God, not everyone else around you. This is the standard by which you should live by, not a standard I place upon you or you place upon me. This is the standard. Everybody understand that? This is the standard. So let's live in according to this. And at the end of the day, guess what? I will, I, I'll stand before God with a clear conscience, knowing that I tried my best to live up to His standard. Now, I know that I'm going to fall short because the Bible says that I've missed the mark. God put the mark there. I've missed it. But let's do everything we can to live for Jesus Christ and not pretend that we're doing it. We also saw a lesson in humility. 
Do we think of ourselves as better than someone else because of something that happened in our life? Or based on how many years we were at the church? Or are we to humble ourselves in the sight of God? You know, he says uh, in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people which are called by my name shall do what? All right. Healing's not going to come unless humility is there. We must humble ourselves in the sight of God, turn from our wicked ways, seek His face, and then He will hear our prayer and will hear, heal our land. At the end of the day, guess what? You and I are just sinners saved by the wonderful grace of God. You and I are equal. We're all sinners, amen? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one here is better than anyone else. We all bring a unique aspect to this church, and we all are needed to complete the work of God. There was a story told of a college out west, and I'm done. This small college out west was struggling financially. The buildings were shabby. Staff salaries were meager. A stranger visited the campus one day and asked the man who was washing a wall where he could find the president of the university. The man responds, I think you can see him at his house at noon. The visitor went as directed, met the president, whom he recognized as being the same man who was scrubbing a wall earlier that day, though he was now in different clothes. Later that same week, a letter came with a gift of $50,000 for the college. The spirit of service on the part of the president had made a positive impression on the visitor because the benefactor saw a man who was not too proud to help where needed. Even though it involved what some might term a menial task, he was moved to contribute generously to the school. You and I have one job. Be humble. Nothing is beneath us at this church. Nothing is beneath us. If a toilet needs to be plunged, any one of us in here qualified, myself included. I'm not scared to plunge a toilet. Amen? Well, it's kind of gruesome. Not any of us are uh, above uh, picking up trash, serving the needy, doing anything we can for our Savior. There's nothing too small we can do. Let's just be faithful serving Jesus. If you're a hypocrite, living the hypocrite life, man, get that right today. Just get sold out to Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the lesson in humility. God rewards those who take a lowly place. The Savior patterned himself, uh, his life this way. He became a man and he gave his life for us. He humbled himself in the form of a servant. He humbled himself to down a cross. If he can do that, we can make this life not about you and me. We can make this about Him. And I, I hope that the Holy Spirit will challenge your heart today and, and convict your heart of things that need to be changed in your lives. We're going to have a time of invitation. I encourage you just to do business with the Lord as He leads this morning. Let's pray. to Heavenly Father, You are so good to us. So many times we fail You. So many times we do the wrong thing. Forgive us, Lord when we claim to be a Christian and we live like the world. Forgive us when we put the traditions of man in front of man itself. Lord, help us not to be hypocrites. Help us not just to give lip service to you. 
Lord, help us to know the power of God, not deny it. Lord, I pray that we would be humble. And Lord, I pray that whatever needs to be done around the church, you'll raise up people who will just do what's needed. Thank you, Lord, for those who already serve in that capacity. Lord, they don't complain. They don't fuss. They do whatever is asked of them to do with a great attitude. Help us to be humble today. Lord, because we know in humbleness, you will exalt us. Help us not to try to exalt ourselves and think of ourselves higher than we should. Lord, speak to our hearts as only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand as Brother Wayne sings. You follow the Lord's